The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. Using science to debunk myths from the pandemic to climate fraud. Thanks for listening to Sky Dragon Slaying on TNT Radio. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Sky Dragon Slaying, where we bring you the truth on science and current affairs the mainstream would rather you didn't know. I'm John O'Sullivan, CEO of Principia Scientific International. As usual, joining me is Texan engineer extraordinaire Joe Wilson and Canadian astrophysicist Joe Posma. Well, this week we're approaching an important but tragic milestone, the anniversary most Americans would rather did not exist, it being arguably one of the most shocking days in the nation's history. Uh, 60 years ago, a sad loner with a cheap rifle changed the course of history. At 12.30pm on November the 22nd, 1963, President John F. Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas as his open-top limousine moved through an echoey wedge-shaped city park called Dealey Plaza. Uh, most witnesses heard three shots. One witness saw a gunman aim and fire, the third from an upper window of the Texas School Book Depository. Uh, be- before police could seal the building off, a 24-year-old depository employee, an ex-Marine named Lee Harvey Oswald, left via the front door. Police found his abandoned rifle on the sixth floor, near the corner window, in a sniper's nest made of book cartons, they found three spent cartridges. Now, just last month, um, on October the 14th to be exact, um, on this show, we interviewed Fred Litwin. Uh, he's the author of the book, Oliver Stone's Film Flam, The Demagogue of Dealey Plaza. And Fred did a, a detailed uh, job in defending the official version of the shooting. And as his book title suggests, he spent an hour with us tearing apart the Oliver Stone film overuse of artistic license. Um, well, my co-host and I were intrigued. We wanted to dig deeper. So we invited Fred back on our show. Uh, on this episode, we wanted to have a debate with one of the leading conspiracy theorists on the subject, Dr. Jim Fetzer. Um, well, Letwin declined her offer because he refused to debate Fetzer, who he regarded as a scandalous figure for daring to describe the infamous Sandy Hook school shooting as a false flag hoax. Well, we couldn't bring these two protagonists together, but we have the next best thing. Professor Jim Fetzer is with us here today. and um, We're going to go through the matter in great detail. Now, Jim is a professor emeritus of the philosophy of science at the University of Minnesota Duluth and has collaborated extensively with my colleague Joe Olson over several years, helping to expose corruption at the highest levels. Hi, Jim. How are you today? Oh, John, I am simply delighted and uh... I think Fred uh, chose the prudent course because intellectually I would have dismembered him. Virtually every single thing he's telling you is provably false. Yeah, yeah. In in the six decades since Kennedy was murdered, opinion polls, uh, they've been pretty consistent. They show that more than 50% of Americans believe there was a conspiracy behind it. Sometimes that number has climbed above 80%. Don DeLillo, uh, in his book, uh, Libra, 1988, he called the assassination the seven seconds that broke the back of the American century. And the crime consumed the culture. DeLillo said that it ushered in America's age of paranoia. Uh, a lot of us, you know, in the kind of truth movement, conspiracy uh, investigators, you know, we we were we've been working on that together for many many years. We 
we, we always smell a rat, don't we, when we see so many um, coincidences, things that don't seem to add up. And you found many, many of those. And uh, just give us um, you know, a, a taste, first of all, of what do you think is the most obvious reason we should be suspicious of, of the official narrative? Well, the day of the assassination, John, two shots were widely reported on radio and television. One was a small, clean puncture wound to the throat, where Malcolm Perry, a physician at Parkland Hospital, had performed a simple tracheostomy incision in a, in a, in a valiant effort to aid, uh, save the life of John F. Kennedy, who, alas, I'm convinced was already dead reported three times to the press conference after his death had been announced by acting press secretary Malcolm per uh, Kildove was a wound of entry three times. Turns out the bullet actually passed through the windshield. And we have a fellow who's gone through junkyards in the south firing high-velocity rounds through windshields. And guess what? In addition to those three shots, and you only heard three because only one of the weapons used was unsilenced to deliberately create the impression of only three shots having been fired. But others reported hearing the sound of what they took to be a firecracker. When the bullet passes through the windshield, it makes the sound of a firecracker. The other mm -hmm. shot widely reported followed up on Malcolm Kildiff's observation when he announced that president was dead. He said, is a simple matter of a bullet right through the head while pointing to his right temple. That shot was also widely reported on radio and television that day, attributed Admiral George Berkeley, the president's personal physician, which blew his brains out the back of his head. Now, when the story later started coming in that the Secret Service and the FBI concluded there were only three shots and they'd been fired from above and behind, Frank McGee, and you can see all this on NBC now. It's still archived and available to the public. It says, this is incongruous. How can the man have been shot from in front, from behind? Yeah, yeah. And I think the point where most people began to really get suspicious, Jim, is uh, obviously within three days, we have the infamous live on TV shooting of, of Lee Harvey Oswald by Jack Ruby. Again, phenomenal on you know live TV. We had two assassinations within the space of three days. The drama, the tension, unbelievable. And I think at that point, most people smelt a rat. You know, how was it possible that the officials, the the police, the you know the Secret Service, how could they fail so abysmally in such an epic uh, kind of embarrassment to the whole system? You know, the American idea idea of a you know, the, the being a wonderful superpower, everything, uh, you know, being so well organized. Um, you know, the image of the Secret Service, it, it was kind of fell apart, didn't it? Well, when uh, Nigel, uh, from the, new, the men who killed Kennedy, came to America to interview me and my research colleagues, where I pioneered collaborative research on JFK 9-11, Wellstone, Sandy Hook, and more, John, by bringing together the best experts, he asked me to address indications of Secret Service complicity, of which I enumerated 15 including leaving two agents behind at Love Field. These were the very guys who would have ridden on the limousine or behind to protect the president. Emery Roberts, the agent in charge, who was a key to weakening the security to ensure JFK would be taken out, left them behind at Love Field. The motorcade, 
was arranged in the wrong fashion, a presidential limousine out front. That's completely wrong. He ought to have been in the middle, the lower-ranking dignitaries, the mayor, then the vice president. So the cheers gradually grows. If you put Jack and Jackie out in front, people watch. They don't even hang around for the lesser fruit, the lower-hanging fruit, like the mayor and the vice president. Plus, instead of having uniform black limousines, these were all makes and models of different kinds of conspirators would know exactly where the, the, the everyone was in the motorcade, including moving the military aide to JFK, who normally would have been in the front seat of the Lincoln limousine in between William Greer, the driver, and Roy Kellerman, the agent in charge, as his military aide, but it would have interfered with the shot that was fired to the throat that passed through the windshields. They moved him to the very last vehicle with guess who? Admiral Berkeley, the president first personal physician. So if the president actually needed help, he'd be in the least desirable position to render it. They didn't weld the manhole cover short. They left open the windows. They even allowed the crowd to spill out onto the street. They stood down the 110th military intelligence unit would have been scattered throughout the city to control the crowd. 8, 10, 12 deep spilling into the street. We have one image of a bus there where the the Lincoln is right beside the bus and an assassin with a handgun could have taken out Jack. They changed the motorcade route that was done on the 18th, just days before John Connolly was involved. You could have gone straight up Main Street to get onto the stem and to take him to the trademark, which had also been changed. It was a less secure location with lots of balconies, entrances, and exits. That was to be the fallback location, Plan B, if Jack were not taken out in Dealey Plaza. Plan C, then, was for him to have a dinner on the Johnson Ranch, and he'd be taken out there. That was least desirable because LBJ was a brain trust behind the entire assassination. Then we have the limousine pulling into Parkland Hospital, and one agent was given a responsibility to take a bucket of water and, and a sponge and clean it up. This was Sam Kinney. He was a driver of the Cadillac for the Secret Service agent. Sam Kinney confided in a friend that this was only to be explained after his death, that he'd found a whole bullet slug from a shot Jack had incurred in the back, it had actually been fired from the top of the county records building using a, a plastic collar not, known as a sabo to implant a Mandeker Carcano bullet as proof. This had been fired previously from the weapon in the Daltax. That would be used to fire those three unsilent shots. At proof of Mandeker Carcano had been used. He took it inside and put it on a stretcher. It would later become the magic bullet. Uh, but mm. even many uh, advanced students of the assassination haven't put two and two together about Sam Kinney's revelation. When bystanders noticed the hole in the windshield, the Secret Service moved the lino so it would no longer be under observation. But one who was a police officer actually took a pencil and stuck it through. We have tracked down, by the way, where the the limousine was sent back to Ford to be completely rebuilt and taken down. The official responsible for replacing the windshield, and a, an attorney from Kalamazoo, Michigan, Doug Weldon, J.D., interviewed him, and he confirmed the through-and-through bullet hole and that the beveling was on the inside, indicating it come from the outside in, where the Secret Service had obtained multiple windshields they claimed for target practice. This was learned by 
Bob Livingston, MD, a world authority on the human brain, who is also an expert on wound ballistics, that they'd obtained 20 windshield for bullet practice. He thought that was very suspicious. And while Ford put a brand new, the Secret Service would produce one with a spider-like crack from a fragment fired from behind as though that had been the real windshield on the limousine. What well, we can tell that's false, even from the most famous photograph taken during the assassination, known as the Alchon 6 by James Ike Alchon, an AP photographer who, believe it or not, actually captured Lee Oswald in the doorway when he took mm -hmm. his famous photograph. Then the Secret Service at, 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 uh, stole the body from Parkland. They forcibly, they showed their weapons, removed the body in a bronze ceremonial casket, put it on Air Force One. This was in violation of Texas law because the only crime that had been committed was murder. That required an inquest to be conducted in Dallas. Earl Rhodes was their medical examiner. He was superb. I've reviewed his his medical report, his autopsy, and officer J.D. Tibbet. He was very thorough, very accomplished, very much mm -hmm. admired. But they couldn't mm -hmm. have a serious physician undertake the autopsy. They say he spirited the body off to Andrews Air Force Base. And while all the television cameras were fixed on Bobby and Jackie unloading the ceremonial casket, Jack had already been put in a body bag in a compartment on the plane and was offloaded into a helicopter transported to Walter Reed, where the best physicians in the military took out metal fragments because each of the shooters had been using his preferred weapon and then transported it in a black hearse to the back of the morgue, where Jack was already undergoing an autopsy at Bethesda Naval Hospital when the Gray Navy Ambulance and the huge entourage accompanying Jacqueline Kennedy arrived there. Gerald Custer, who was the radiation technologist who actually took the x-rays, told me personally he was walking upstairs in the company of two Secret Service to have x-rays ex that had been exposed developed when he saw Jackie coming up to the door. And he said, what in the world's going on here? Because the autopsy was already taking place. The Secret Service gathered up the x-rays and the autopsy photographs. And the next time we have access to them, they have been altered, they have been faked. So a Secret Service was deeply involved here in setting up the president for his assassination. Um, Joe Posma, I'm gonna bring you in. I was gonna hold 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 off on that. There's an ad in two minutes. You you got a detailed question. We'll try and fit it in before the break. Yeah, sure. Um, so one of the questions I had for Fred was uh, regarding the, the trajectories of these bullets and this so-called magic bullet problem. And uh, so according to Fred Littman, he said that there's no problem with the trajectories of the bullets all coming from behind. And, you know, and he gave some explanation that, you know, it's all line of sight that it, you know, totally follows that the bullet would have, you know, been continuing on a continuous trajectory line of sight as you, as you would expect. And so I thought, well, I, you know, I was, I didn't actually know what caliber of bullet was used. And he mentioned 6.5 millimeter. And, you know, that was all that I was able to do because, you know, it was a busy, we, we had only an hour. But the thing about the 6.5 millimeter bullet that did stand out to me, this is not a very popular round in North America or the USA. In Europe, it's a very popular round. Uh, it has become popular in the USA, Canada, just in the last five, 10 years 
Uh, it's now called the 6.5 Creedmoor, but the one that was used, see, I do a lot of reloading and a lot of reshooting. So I know a lot about bullet uh, ballistics and, and right. properties. So the 6.5 millimeter uh, Carcano, that's a 162 grain bullet. So the thing about this bullet is it's very long and what's special about it and why hunters love it in Europe because, is because it has extreme penetrating power. That bullet can get through a lot of stuff. It digs down deep. And so I thought, well, you know, that is the type of bullet that would be able to go through, you know, soft human flesh pretty easily, plus a bunch of other stuff, you know? So, um, you know, I don't know all the details, you know, not like you do on, you know, what is the problem with the trajectories and that, that, you know, this bullet, you know, it does have the penetrating power to penetrate a bunch of stuff, but what's the problem then? Tell us what is the problem then with the trajectory and this bullet and, and the bullet holes and all this. Well, number one, the hit in the back was five and a half inches below the collar and just to the right of the spinal column. It was shallow because it was a hand load. You're familiar with loading. They just want to implant a bullet. So it didn't have the maximal penetrating power. Plus, Jack was wearing this corset. He'd injured his back in World War II. He'd been cinched up very tight. This made him a sitting duck because he couldn't duck and weave or try to get out of the way. That would have been impossible for him. But in addition, you see, they had to, when it turned out that one of the three rounds, remember now, the government committed itself very uh, early on that evening, in fact, to three shots having been fired, Jack having been hit in the back, Connolly having been hit in the back, and then Jack having been hit in the back, killing him. But it turned out that one of the rounds, and it was the one of the rounds fired by the man liquor Carcano, by the way, which was so inaccurate, the Italian carbine, that it was known in World War II as the humanitarian rifle for never harming anyone on purpose. Wildly, <laughs> it fired three shots, one hit a distant curbing and injured a bystander named James Tague, who actually had a cut on his cheek, not from the bullet, but from a concrete fragment. A second had missed and hit a chrome strip above the windshield, and we got an indentation that fits the Mandelker Carcano bullet perfectly. But then after the driver, William Greer, pulled the limousine to the left and do a halt to make sure Jack would be killed, he was hit in the back of the head by a shot fired from the Daltex with that Mandelker Carcano. He slumped forward. Jackie eased him up, was looking him right in the face when he was hit in the right temple by that shot that blew his brains out the back of his head. Now, what they had to do then, and, and obviously that first day report contradicts the Warren Commission massively because you had two shots, throat and right temple that were both fired from in front. They're claiming all only fired from behind. But if you put their claims together with what was reported the first day, then you have four hits to JFK, that, that back shot five and a half inches below, the throat shot, the shot to the back of the head, the shot to the right temple, all of which were legitimate hits. And then David W. Manick, MD, who's a leading expert on the medical evidence and has published a couple of books about the medical evidence, uh, the head wounds that JFK you can obtain from Amazon, for example, believes there was yet a third shot to the head to the right side. Now, what they had yeah. to do in order to make plausible magic bullet theory was have a Warren Commission member. I mean, this is who fulfilled the task, Gerald Ford. Change sorry, Jim, the if, description. Sorry, Jim, if I, if I can just jump in there, Jim, for a sec, for John's yeah. sake, John. 
Yeah, yeah. We're going to just start take, take a short break. It's TNT Radio. You should hear what Ross Cameron is talking about. I see there's a new trend taking place, sweeping uh, the internet of what they're calling sort of technology naked walks, where you go for a walk without your iPhone, without uh, a headset, and just alone with your thoughts. Apparently some people are finding it quite emotionally taxing, but subsequently liberating. Uh, certainly I find if I get into a motor vehicle with a teenager, it's a matter of seconds uh, before there is a request for uh, usually the latest uh, Taylor Swift song or some other form of electronic stimulus. We are generation apparently trained uh, for a very short concentration span and a desperate need for um, digital company. Ross Cameron on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Back in time, and who was Mike Flynn? He was the National Security Advisor to the President. Why is it that they go after me so hard? Why me? Why does Barack Obama only talk about two people to the incoming President of the United States? When I was sentenced, the judge says, you have been convicted of lying to cover up for Donald Trump. To which I say, cover up what? Russian collusion? There was no Russian collusion to cover up. We see in today's current uh, scenario with President Joe Biden, who came in with high expectations, that he has been viewed as divisive. And we're committed to advancing transgender equality in the classroom. The liberal media say, well, this is his love for his son, and yes, he's gonna protect his son, but let me tell you, a lot of fathers love their sons, but their sons had to go to jail when they broke the law. This moment, people see a lot of those telltale signs of a far left drift to the country. Whether you're talking about socialism or you're talking about communism, socialism is just a kinder cousin of communism. But the goal is the same, for the state to have control of every aspect of your life. We have multiple hearings on different agencies that have actually just gone Road. They took fewer men in the takedown of El Chapo than they did to arrest me. And Comey went back to his organization and brought his other thugs together to basically give them the ground rules. Okay, here's how we're gonna, here's what we're gonna do. And give, now I need some ideas about how to execute this, basically this act of treason. I think we all know, James Comey, that you're a great storyteller because you made up the entire story about Crossfire Hurricane. So it's really fitting that a criminal like yourself wrote a crime novel. Do you remember me? Remember me from your book signing? It doesn't matter whether they're Republican or Democrat, people will sell their soul to obtain an ounce of political power in Washington, D.C. I don't even know that draining the swamp is the appropriate metaphor anymore after what we've seen these last four years. We need basically an exorcism in Washington, D.C. When, you know, Satan is tempting Jesus in the desert, I'll, I'll give you all the riches of the world. I'll give you everything. All you have to do is bow to me. That's what Barack Obama has done. That's what Jim Comey has done. That's what these bastards have done. The Fall of Deceit at SalemNow.com. If you're talking about it, we're talking about it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back. Um, in a few moments, we'll be going to Gigi Foster, giving us a brief uh, but important message about the Australians for Science and Freedom Conference. Um, but before then, Jim, the magic bullet and uh, Joe, Joe Postmo made a very important point. The bullet, you know, European kind of um, specification bullet, it's uh, very unusual in America. Um, very detailed information that this kind of really kind of makes a kind of a mockery of what Fred Letwin was saying that 
The big thing that um, struck me is he was very adamant that Lee Harvey Oswald was an actually e expert marksman, but everything I read says he barely passed. He, he was just you know, minimally uh, had basic competence. You got it right, and he's got it wrong. I served as a series commander at the recruit depot in San Diego where Lee Oswald had taken his recruit training. I had 15 DIs and 300 recruits under my command, including marksmanship training at Edson Range and Camp Pendleton. He was a mediocrity. He barely, uh, let's see, in 1957, I think he qualified with a 190. That barely makes him a marksman. And he didn't qualify at all the following year, which is extraordinary because there's a general order that every Marine from the lowest ranking private to the commandant must qualify with a rifle every year. It appears because he was on special assignment to Monterey to study the Russian language. And then when he came back again, I mean, uh, he barely qualified. He was known for getting what they call Maggie's drawers. It's a white flag when you miss a target completely. So for someone to be claiming, I mean, this is easily verified. Anyone who understands the marksmanship ranking, we have a total possible 250 points. And if you if you get 190 to, to 199, then you're uh, a marksman, uh, 200 to 210. You're a sharpshooter to to eleven and up. You're an expert. But Oswald barely qualified as a marksman. He actually the very first time he had qualified with a two twelve. That's in fifty seven. I myself qualified with a two twelve, but then he didn't qualify, and then he barely got one ninety, which was probably a gift from the pits. He he did not know the right end of a rifle. And then he was, uh, he appears to have been recruited, by the way, by the Office of Naval Intelligence as a recruit and then stationed at Atsugi, which was our most secure base from which the U-2 overflights took place. He was a radar operator. Then he performed a pseudo-defection to the Soviet Union, provide them that information. They knew the overflights were taking place, but not the altitude, so they couldn't shoot it down. Khrushchev and Eisenhower are on the eve of a major summit to reduce world tensions, but Khrushchev accused Eisenhower of spying on the United States. Eisenhower denied it, and Khrushchev produced Francis Gary Power, the pilot who'd not taken his cyanide tablet in parts of the plane, and the summit was scuttled. When Oswald, after marrying the niece of a KGB colonel, returned to the United States, he was not treated like a traitor. Instead, he was greeted by a CIA front organization giving money to relocate to New Orleans, where he'd be sheep-dipped as a pro-Castro communist sympathizer while Marina moved to Dallas at the home of Ruth and her, her husband, Payne, who were CIA assets themselves. And Ruth would later arrange for Lee to get a job at the book depository just weeks before the assassination so they could frame him as a patsy. Yeah, well, uh, that's what I wanted to bring up was that that's that's a recorded video. That's a well-known video, is it not? That Oswald actually Patsy. Yeah, well, uh, that's what I wanted to bring up was that that's that's a recorded video. That's a well-known video, is it not? That Oswald actually says that he is a patsy. Like yeah. he actually. Oh, sure. Said, I mean, this that's not much of a defense. You might was, say that. Yeah, after he was arrested, yeah. but we've confirmed everything Lee had to say. He told Will Fritz, a homicide detective, he was out front with Bill Shelley. Well, it was out in front with Bill Shelley. We've been able to confirm that. He was shown a photograph from the backyard, which was staged. Another 
Dallas cop, who actually was CIA, Roscoe White was his body double for that. He said that was someone else with his face pasted on it. He'd be able to prove it. Well, he didn't live long enough to do it. But Jim Mars and I and Jack White and Judith Mary Baker, we've all proven. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Everything Lee said about it, about the assassination, has turned out to be true. And he was, as he declared, he was being framed. He was a passive. So is that uh, is that why he, Ruby killed him then? Like, was Ruby set up then to kill him in order to shut him up? Is that the real reason? Or Well, it's a little more complex than that. A fellow named Ralph Sinkay, who founded the Oswald Innocence Project, who's a chiropractor, and it was instrumental in identifying that Lee in the doorway was the same Lee who was arrested because they had the same height, the same weight, the same build, the same undershirt, and the same overshirt, which was a long sleeve, richly textured, rather ragged shirt that he had acquired in Russia. And later, Marina would admit she remembered having laundered that shirt, that, that they were the same person, even if you couldn't do close-up on the facial features. But Larry Rivera had become a master of doing that. And he superimposed facial features on the figure in the doorway and the Billy Lovelady character, the government claims, who actually was also in the doorway, but was wearing a red and white short sleeve, vertically striped shirt. Look, nothing at all about the figure that we believed and have confirmed to be Lee Oswald by doing facial superpositions. There's no doubt about it at all. I've given you a, a video. It's in your promo for the show where you can see the result of Larry Rivera. It's exact. So we know Lee was in the doorway. And having been in the doorway, when the motorcade passed by, not only cannot have been the lone demented gunman, but... He cannot have been one of the multiple shooters. And most of the audience isn't going to believe what I say when they first hear it. There were eight shooters. There were eight different sponsors of the assassination, and each put up their own shooter, sort of tied together like in a blood oath. Those included the CIA, the Joint Chiefs, the anti-Castro-Cubans, the Mafia, Israel, the Texas Oilmen, and the establishment around the Fed. Plus. Lyndon Johnson's own hitman, Malcolm Mac Wallace, who killed a dozen people for Lyndon, including his own sister. Jim, we've got Gigi Foster here from the Australians for Science and Freedom Conference. Gigi, uh, do you want to give us a, a, a brief introduction, a, a kind of um, flavor of what's going on at the Australians for Science and Freedom Conference? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. So um, this is the inaugural conference. Australians for Science and Freedom, which is a free think tank that was founded by myself and a few like-minded colleagues across multiple disciplines a few months ago, um, kind of coming out of the COVID darkness. And uh, we're focused at this conference on designing solutions for Australian society across those same disciplines that are represented in our founding and, and affiliate members. So um, health, education, media, politics, and law. So uh, we've had many, many sessions. We're, uh, I think, fourth uh, round. So we've got basically eight sessions so far that we've done and then uh, another couple later today. Whereabouts are you uh, doing the conference? Yeah, we're at UNSW, University of New South Wales, uh, my, my employer in Sydney, Australia. Yeah. And uh, there are a lot of people with you then? Yeah, so we have about 120 people registered, which is, uh, you know, quite a, quite a good sizable number. We were um, quite happy with that, about twice the size we thought it would be. 
and uh, about 42, I think, presenters uh, across these different areas uh, that we represent and that we um, are interested in, um, in looking at as we try to think about new institutions and, and different ways of running things for Australia in the future. So health, education, law, polity, um, the media, etc. So we've got a lot of really top thinkers in the resistance and restoration movement here. In what capacity yeah, are you awesome. employed by, uh, by NSW? I'm, or, a, I'm a professor uh, sorry, of economics. Wow, and they allow allow you to do that there. Not only have they allowed me, believe it or not, they've given me the venue for free, and they have given me $6,000 towards the catering. So uh, I really can't complain. That's amazing, because in in today's cancel culture, where you you have to be offended about talking about any truth, I'm I'm surprised anyone in any university is allowed to get away with this. I mean, I used to work at a university. They they fired me because I said that climate change is legitimate to question the alarmism. Right. So exactly. it's really surprising exactly. to hear exactly. that there, there exists any universities out there. So that's great, Gigi. Yeah, I'm very pleased with, uh, with the university's support and particularly the School of Economics. I mean, they're the ones who have backed this. And, uh, and I think, I, I mean, I, I'm trying to just, you know, count my blessings and not be, uh, not be too strenuous about it either way. But I think this is a huge step in the right direction for the resistance and restoration movement and for the university because it shows that they actually can have real debates and real discussions about issues that are not just, you know, the ones that are uh, on the headlines and that the politicians want us to say and that, uh, you know, that gives, give the money to the universities. It's actually about serving the public, about thinking about our future uh, for our kids and, and making sane policy. So are you hosting yeah. public debates? I mean, I'd love to be invited. I'd love to do a, a debate on uh, yeah, climate no, science. Look, That'd I mean, be awesome. About it. It'd be great to have you <laughs> Any here. of us. Yeah, we, so we have, we're, we're discussing real things. So we just got out of a session talking about uh, citizen juries and other direct democratic strategies for, uh, you know, bringing power back to the people and away from the elites um, on, on all sorts of issues. And so we had Murray Hancock from the uh, Brisbane Dialogues Foundation, and we also had Ian Walker from New Democracy, and, uh, and then myself and Paul Friders talking about citizen juries for public appointments. Um, and that was just one session. So there's been uh, sessions on health, as they say, education, new models for education is coming up this afternoon um, in universities. And then we had one on pre-university education yesterday. We also have community leaders here from across the country who have been active in, in rebuilding community fabric uh, in, in various different locations, Sydney, uh, Melbourne, Tasmania, um, Brisbane, uh, all over the place in Australia during the last few years, particularly sharing their learnings, you know, what works to, to rebuild communities and, and what doesn't work and, and what are the tips and tricks and obviously people meeting each other and, and trying to you know, form new networks that we'll need in order to strengthen our society going forward. Amazing. Yeah, the big point here, the big point here, Gigi, is collaboration and uh, and we're making new connections and uh, TNT Radio, you know, very much in the frame looking for, for truth, more truth in science. Propaganda has been our enemy and uh, freedom of speech. You know, you made a very good point. We found ourselves at Principia Scientific that the uh, council culture is very much real. The journals, the peer reviewed journals, <laughs> they're, they're really not peer, peer reviewed at all. We found that to, to our cost. Um, it's huh. so important. And um Yep. Let me ask you, do you actually have a, a website? I mean, we're always keen to, to share information. Do, do you have a website that we could actually yes, refer absolutely. people to? Yes, absolutely. Yes. We please please uh, direct your audience scienceandfreedom.org. We have um, our events and our articles, and uh, there's a newsletter. There's membership opportunities. We'd encourage people to help us out and put more of these events on. Um, we're actually just last night we discussed with the founders how to move forward with more of these in-person events because we think this is one of the things that's really missing in in the resistance and restoration movement in Australia. So we're thinking of having uh, more subject-specific events going forward next year. So um, you know, in education, for example, or focus on media 
or, or focus on health and bring together again the leading minds and thinkers and, and practical people um, from from you know their various places in in the nation and do some workshops on what works and how we can you know start an alternative system in these areas that could then take market share from some of the corrupt and, and corroded institutions that have failed us so much. And I mean, I totally agree with you about science. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not that the papers aren't peer-reviewed. It's that the peers are reviewing in a particular way. It's a self-licking ice cream cone mm-hmm. model. Um, and so, yes, real science... We have, to, we have to remember, rediscover. Real science can be done by real people. You don't have to have a degree. <laughs> you just have to uh, you know, be willing to engage and use your mind for, for good and, and know what the scientific method is. So we're very much in favor of community strengthening through empowerment, through the, uh, the work together with, uh, with other people who are of like mind, vertically integrated, horizontally integrated, and, uh, and being optimistic for our future. John, I think yeah, we yeah, need yeah. to have Gigi on for two hours. <laughs> yeah, Gigi, we'd show. like to uh, arrange yeah. you, for you to come on the show. We um, are very enthusiastic. We, we've never spoke, spoken before. We, um, Joe, Joe, myself, we work for Precipia Scientific 13 years. We've been at this game doing exactly the kind of um, advocacy you're talking about. And uh, we have to collaborate and we need you, you know, on TNT Radio. Um, what we'll do is um, when we're off air, we'll um, you know, be in touch and we'll definitely arrange for you to come on the show because I think what you're saying is crucial for the benefit of everybody, not just the scientific community, mm. but as we all know, science and technology affects everybody and we should all yep. have uh, an interest. So, um, Gigi, thank you so much yep. for giving us a short introduction to that and uh, wish you a lot of success with Australians for Science and Freedom Conference. Thanks so much, guys. I appreciate your support. Keep, keep up the good fight, and I look forward to being on the show again. Yeah, thank you very much. Gigi Foster. Thanks. Right. Gentlemen, uh, back to the uh, question in hand. Um, one of the she things, was, I mean, was, I just want to go to... I'm absolutely ecstatic that you picked up on her being so objective, articulate, scientific, qualified, wonderful move. I endorse it. Thank you, Jim. Um, I mean, I... It was a pleasure for me to finally meet up with you earlier this year. I mean, I, I know my colleague and friend, Joe Olson, and you have worked for many years. It's very important work. And we build things year on year, don't we? It's a long, hard grind. We've always had the, med- the mainstream media and governments have been against us. You took a massive hit, you know, for daring, you're daring to make your statements about Sandy Hook. And, uh, you know, you, you paid the price. It's something that... Um, you're going to have to deal with again because I've read so much negativity about what you do, Jim. Simply because you're, <laughs> <laughs> you're over the I target. You're over it. the target. Yeah. You know, like us, when you get over the target, you draw so much hate. You get the flack, don't you? Yeah, let me come around to that because Lipman was offering that as his excuse for not debating me. Lipman is an advertising guy. I'm a philosophy professor. His business is promoting propaganda. Mine is exposing truth. He has four books. I have 40. Now, when it Mm. comes to Sandy Hook, he's not telling you. I brought together 13 experts, including six, six PhDs. We established a school had been closed by 2008, that there were no teachers or students there, that it was a FEMA drill presented as mass murder to promote gun control, from which we even found the FEMA manual, which I have published as Appendix A in the book. It went on sale on Amazon on the 22nd of October 2015. It was banned on 19 November, even though it sold nearly 500 copies in less than a month. He also didn't tell you that 
during the last year or so, I've been in contact with two of the participants. Uh, Margaret Alice Cottle was cast as Emily Parker, little girl, blonde hair, blue eyed, and Victoria uh, 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 Aurelio, who was cast as Vicky Soto, who was supposed to be the heroic teacher. They're both alive and well. Victoria was even cast at Uvalde, which was based on Sandy Hook with variations at Sandy Hook. Adam Lanza is supposed to have shot his mother and then gone to the school and shot 20 kids and six adults. Well, Uvalde, he shot his grandmother and then goes to the school and shoots 19 second, third and fourth graders. Vicky was recast as Eva Morales, a teacher who died again, for which she was paid $210,000. We now know, and I learned from them, that actually the school wasn't even an elementary school. It was a special needs school. It actually closed in 2006. One tell is it doesn't even have a playground. Have you ever heard of an elementary school that didn't have a playground? And that... None, 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 none other than Eric Holder came to Newtown in 2006 and offered the community $140 million to do this. Members Jim, of the community uh, who didn't want to, to, who didn't want to. We're going to have Jim. to take another break, Jim. We're going to have to take another break. This is TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. Thanksgiving's less than a week away, and if you're planning on taking your kids to the Thanksgiving Day Parade, the Macy's Parade in New York City, or watching it on TV with the kids, think again, give serious consideration, because Fox News reports that as of Tuesday, 20,000 outraged people have signed a petition posted by one million moms protesting the inclusion of two Broadway shows in the parade, both of which feature transgender and non-binary performers in major roles. Yes, indeed. Think again. Here's Kristen Wagoner with Alliance Defending Freedom. Just another example of an ideological war that's being waged on families. And customers are saying they've had enough, but it seems that corporate brands that were once trusted just still aren't getting the message. So I think you're seeing parents stand up, rise up and say, we're going to parent and we expect our family friendly events to truly be family friendly and not teach our children values that we object to. We need to understand very clearly that these ideologies that are being peddled in films and in our school systems are designed to pit children against their parents. And it's time for parents to not stand on the sidelines, but to truly use their influence. Folks, don't let your kids be indoctrinated. Find something else to do. Don't let them watch the Thanksgiving Day Parade. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Make sure you tune into my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT Radio. You are loved. You are valued. You are resilient. You got this. You are there for them. We are here for you. Find free care guides at aarp.org slash caregiver. Using science to debunk myths from the pandemic to climate fraud. Thanks for listening to Sky Dragon Slaying on TNT Radio. When I booked our guest today, I knew we needed two hours. Even two hours, it doesn't seem long enough. The first hour is just flying by. 
Um, because conspiracy theories are everything's connected, and I, I kind of knew that talking about the JFK assassination with James Fett, so we knew we'd be on to the Sandy Hook shooting. Um, and uh, I had to, in the article I posted pr promoing the um talk today, I on Principia Scientific, I mentioned uh, the Rolling Stone article, the Rolling Stone report that said a, a Wisconsin jury had ruled that James Fetzer, a retired professor from the University of Minnesota, Duluth, must pay Posner, the, the guy who sued you, 450000 for accusing him of forging his son Noah's death certificate. Um, yeah, you authored the book, you co-authored the book, Nobody Died at Sandy Hook, Jim, and... Um, you know, uh, Posner uh, says, you know, that um, you defamed him. You defamed him and you for saying that he faked his son's uh, birth certificate. And the, the Obama administration staged the shooting in an effort to pass new gun controls. Um, that That's the context. And, um, you know, you've been hit with that. Um, and I said to Jeremy now, Jeremy said to me yesterday, did he actually, did you lose that case? I said, yeah, Jim, Jim lost the case. Um, but you're defiant, aren't you, Jim? And um, you know where is well, that standing at the moment? Did you did you pony up, or did, are you still going to fight the, um, the the ruling? Well, let me give you a thumbnail sketch. In Wisconsin, is very odd. What's known as a summary judgment has been described to me as the most abused procedure in the judiciary in America today by a retired professor of law. They're only supposed to apply if there are no disputed facts. You know, as if you agree on the facts and the judge can just apply the law and issue a summary judgment. But in this mm -hmm. case, our facts were completely at opposite. He claimed he had a son who died during the mass shooting at Sandy Hook. And right on the death certificate, it says he died at Sandy Hook of multiple gunshot wounds at the elementary school. I mean, how ridiculous is that? So what did the judge do? Well, in Wisconsin... If a judge thinks evidence is unreasonable, he can just set it aside. So not only did I have the, 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 the FEMA manual for the exercise, I had all kinds of photographs, documents, records. The porta-potties were there in advance. They were giving pizza and bottled water at the firehouse. There was no surge of EMTs. There was no string of ambulances. There was no evacuation of the other 469 students. I mean, the evidence that this was fraudulent was overwhelming. And and I even had an additional, the FBI consolidated crime report for 2012 that shows that the intersection of murder and non-negligent manslaughters for Newtown, of which Sandy Hook is a subdivision, the number zero, zilch, nada, zip. You know, even the FBI agrees nobody died at Sandy Hook because nobody died in Newtown from murder in all of 2012. He just set it all aside. He just set it all aside. He never ruled on my role as a journalist. I gave him a seven page uh, summary of my qualifications. He never ruled on my qualifications as a journalist. He, he made the absurd ruling, and this was even at the scheduling conference, that all of the evidence I had uh, about nobody having died at Sandy Hook was irrelevant to the accuracy or the truthfulness of the death certificate, which is not only a legal absurdity, it's a logical absurdity. How can evidence that nobody died not be relevant to the claim that one of the parties died? Plus, I was able to prove that his, his son, the alleged decedent Noah Posner, 
was a fictional character, is made out of photograph as his real son, Michael Vabner, who was already in college at the time when he was a child. I had all that in evidence. And the but Jim, it not only that, not only that, but I had two forensic document experts give their reports in support of me. And get this, even you go all the way back to the initial complaint, it had a, a certified death certificate with a file number, town certification, state certification, and claimed that was materially no different, meaning in legal respects, no different than the death certificate I had published, which was a scan that the plaintiff had made available himself on his website for Kelly Watt, which had no file number, no town certification, no state certification, even under Connecticut law. Not even parents are allowed to have uncertified death certificates. There's no possible way I could lose this. But the parties who actually participated said, they knew all my cases were had predetermined outcomes. They were all going to come out against me. And similarly for Alex Jones and similarly for Remington, I sought to intervene in all those cases with all the evidence I had that it had been a FEMA drill and nobody wanted it. The Remington people lost like 140 mil. And I think it was because it was for them an investment. They think eventually... Guns are going to have to be licensed and insured, and they stand to make a lot of money. But to get there, the public's got to be convinced it's a good idea. And if I'm allowed to present the evidence that this was a fraud, not only Sandy Hook, but Orlando was a fraud, Parkland was a fraud, Uvalde was a fraud, Nashville was a fraud, Buffalo was a fraud. I, I've been doing this regularly with excellent people and taking them apart and publishing them. But they're doing their best to suppress. As at this point in time, I have six books that have been banned by Amazon. Six. Well, Jim, don't you think that these rulings no. against you and Alex Jones, <laughs> so, for example, for, so, for billions so, of dollars? So, no, just so, well, just let, so, let me finish. Don't you think that they're also no, an attack uh, on free speech as well? Because these are uh, these are plausible things that you guys are saying and that Alex Jones is saying. They're plausible. They're not unreasonable. So now, and what's the harm? They're claiming emotional harm. So now. Like this, an attack on oh. free speech, is it not? Basically, uh, in addition oh, sure, to the Second Joe. Amendment. Oh, yeah, freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of the press. That's why they're using intermediate entities. But I have no doubt Amazon is acting at the behest of the federal government because the First Amendment applies directly to the federal government. So a Amazon can get away with it if it's not connected. But I submit it's acting as an agent. I've even been trying to go after them to do it, but it's a tough road to hoe. I know Joe has something he wants to squeeze in. Joe Olson, go for it. Yeah, Joe. go ahead, Joe. Yes, well, finally. Uh, Jim and I have done <laughs> over, three, over 300 videos, uh, Sorry, two Joe. dozen that were on uh, YouTube that got deleted after he started having issues with the Sandy Hook thing. But this goes back to 2015. So we worked together uh, a tremendous amount. In 2018, he was going to be one of the guest speakers at a conference in Dallas. And I am always uh, trying to meet people in person. And so I drove up to Dallas and attended that four-day conference. I had another one this year. And knowing that he was going to be a guest, I went ahead and signed up for this year's program. And uh, we've already been through three of the four days. And I've got some really important updates from the stuff that Jim and I had learned in 2018. But... Uh, we're going to have to cover that in the next hour because we're running out of time. But real quickly, 
One of the people that was at the 2018 was Robert and Janet Groden. They're film analysts, and they managed to get a, the least altered uh, Zabruder films and do a frame-by-frame -frame study of it, and they did an absolutely brilliant job with it. Jim really agreed with them in 2018, but they also had a little bit of issues since then. But the stuff that they brought up that um, I think is very important for this update was that they said that there was audio, uh, that there was three bullets that were um, in John Connolly, that he had three separate wounds, that there was audio of 11 shots fired. There was bullet uh, strikes on the storm drain sidewalk. One hit the curb and hit a guy named uh, James Tagg. Uh, there was the windshield one. Uh, then there was the Secret Service guys, uh, Sam Kenny and Paul Landis. Paul Landis is the one that said they he's the one that found the bullet in the back of the car. And just before he dies, he wants to give it up. It's like, give me a break. He said he's the one that put it on the stretcher. They're just doing more and more cover up. There was a child that was wounded. He mentioned uh, Dr. Robert Shaw uh, or Dr. Perry doing the tracheotomy. Uh, there was an interview with Dr. Robert Shaw at the Parkland Hospital at 4 p.m. And he it was on the Connolly wounds. And that interview was never aired by the local TV station. He managed to find it. And then I mentioned something at the conference about the interview that uh, Ole Domagard did with James Files, who claimed to be the grassy knoll shooter. And he said that he had interviewed uh, Files and he was not believable. And I thought when I, when Ollie was um interviewing him that he sounded awful lot like Frank Abigail, the catch me if you can guy that he had enough time in 25 years in prison to dream up a whole bunch of stories. And he's written two books called primary target and files on JFK. And it seems like what he's doing is promoting his book sales before he kicks the bucket. But he had some interesting stories to tell about the mob, but we'll get to that in the second hour. Yeah, another 30 seconds, Joe. Just to summarize what, what, what we'll go into in the second hour, I want to um, go back to the issue of the competence of Lee Harvey Oswald. His ability to, the rifle he used was a bolt action rifle. The speed required to get off three rounds in pretty much three seconds. Again, disputed by so many marksmen, people very adept at, to you know, handling rifles. It's, it's something that I never really got my head around. and. I don't want to, you know, decry Fred Littman. I don't know his motives, but um, we will come back and visit it in more detail in a second hour and hear, hear more from you, Joe Olson. You know, you, you need, you've got a lot to talk about, so we'll have it in the second hour. This is Sky Dragon Slaying on TNT Radio. Mm -hmm. 